I want to welcome again those of you who are here and, and uh, watching online, those of you that are over in the venue this morning, good morning to you. We're so glad that you're here. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you that we can sing to you this morning and that you are the one who fills our hearts, Lord, when our hearts need filling. You're the only one who can do that. And we ask that even this morning, I'm sure many of us have come with, with, with needs, very deep, real, personal needs and hurts that only you can touch and change in our lives. And so bless those folks this morning, bless us all, and bless us, Lord, that we would be a blessing, for we are your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in a series with Pastor Rick looking at the book of Ephesians, and so I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, where this morning we will be reading verses 1 through 13 together in a message that I've simply entitled The Mystery and, and Ministry of the Church. I love the songs we sang this morning, and I love being here. I love the church. I love the church. And more than that, Jesus loves the church. I love Big Valley Grace, but I love the church. And Jesus loves Big Valley Grace. And Jesus loves the church. I gave my life to Christ at First Baptist Church downtown here now called Cross Point on July 16, 1972. And my life has never been the same since. That was over 42 years ago. I was uh, a pastor there. I was married there over 38 years ago. We had our first child there. During the 80s, I served on staff, the pastoral staff, at Marshland Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, where, where our number two and number three children came into our our home. And I was called back to First Baptist Church uh, the end of the 80s, and uh, where I served during the 90s. And I've been on the staff of pastor here at Big Valley since 2000. Our daughters, our two daughters, both met, we have two daughters and a son. Our son is up from Los Angeles, so he was here last night. And uh, our two daughters both met their their spouses, their husbands here at Big Valley Grace. And between the two of them, we have six uh, grandchildren with uh, one of our uh, son-in-law's parents sitting right over here. So we, we share the, the six, uh, well, we share four of the six grandchildren together. And they're, they're all absolutely beautiful. And they all attend here. They all ages, the oldest is seven, the youngest is two, and they're all in our children's ministry. And they all love our children's ministry. And I love that they love being here. I better put my glasses on so I can see what I'm supposed to be saying here this morning. Otherwise, no telling what may come out. I know the difference the church has made in my life. And I know the difference that the church has made in my family's life. And again, I love the church and Jesus loves the church. And I love the church for 10,000 reasons more than I just mentioned. And Jesus, again, loves the church. The church is his bride. The church is his creation. The church is who he died for. And we are a part of that great church throughout all of history that one day will be in his presence forever and ever. Those from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation who are part of the, the body of Christ, a part of the church. And the Apostle Paul loved the church in the same way. As Jesus, he gave his life for it also. And this is what God calls us to do. This is what we're going to see as we read really through this, this section of Scripture today, that the church is worth giving our lives for. Jesus gave his life for the church. Paul gave his life for the church. All of the apostles and, and great men and women throughout history over the last 2,000 years, even today, are giving their lives for the church and the church is worth giving our lives for. It deserves our very, very best. And this morning, I want us to look at the idea of this mystery. It's God's mystery, his mystery of the church. And in verses 1 through 5, <clears throat> if you have your notes in front of you, 
we'll be looking first at this mystery, this mystery of God's revelation, a revelation of, of a new plan. So listen as I read from Ephesians, again, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. When I think of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote earlier. God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. He revealed this mystery to me. And as you read what I have written, you will, you will understand my insight into this plan, into this mystery regarding Christ. It's a mystery, it's a plan regarding Jesus. God did not reveal it to, to previous generations, but now by his Spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. We'll stop our reading there. Paul begins by identifying himself in relationship to this mystery, saying, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. When Paul writes this letter, he's been incarcerated for five years now. Two years in Caesarea where he was, he was imprisoned for preaching, uh, uh, the message of this mystery by the Jews. He was then sent to Rome where he, he was incarcerated in a Roman home cell under chain guard awaiting trial by, before Caesar. And yet notice that Paul does not call himself a, a prisoner of the Jews. He doesn't call himself a, a prisoner of, of Rome. He called himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That was his perspective in the midst of his imprisonment. Paul saw, saw himself not imprisoned because he was a subject to Caesar, of Caesar, but because of the sovereignty of God Almighty, the God that he loved. He recognized that every aspect of his life was governed by a sovereign God. And every aspect of our lives, by the way, is governed by a sovereign God who is carrying out his divine plan. And he was there, he was where he was because that was exactly where the Lord wanted him to be. He was where he was because that was where the Lord exactly wanted him to be. And in God's sovereignty, you and I are exactly where we are because that is where the Lord wants us to be. God had revealed his plan to Paul and he was a part of that plan. A plan that was for the sake or for the benefit of the Gentiles. For the sake and the, the benefit of others. And God's sovereign plan is still in effect today and if you have placed your faith in, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that involves you too. His plan involves you. His plan is about you. And like Paul, God has you right where he wants you to be that he might use you for the sake of others. For the sake of others. Whatever takes place in our lives is never just about ourselves. That was Paul's perspective. It's never just about me. It's about the God who is sovereign and his plan being fulfilled, and his desire to use me to fulfill that plan, not just in my life, but in the lives of others as well that God places around me. This was Paul's amazing perspective, and it's the perspective that God longs would be true in our lives as well. It was an amazing perspective in Paul's life. It was a perspective that was driven by the revelation of God's mysterious plan the mysterious plan of God, the mystery of God. And God revealed himself to Paul. He revealed this mystery to Paul himself. It is called a mystery because God had not revealed it to previous generations, to prior ages. It had not been revealed. It was hidden from them. They knew nothing about it. 
Now, the Old Testament prophets at times alluded to it, but not because they understood it. And so it's revealed, this mystery, it had not been revealed before, and it's revealed by the Holy Spirit, not only to Paul, but to all the New Testament apostles and prophets. Up to this time, again, this mystery had remained a secret, a secret hidden, hidden by God. The word mystery appears, or mysterious plan, as, as it reads in, in the translation I read from this morning, appears 18 times in the New Testament, seven times here in the book of Ephesians. And listen to what Paul says, and we'll, we'll focus on uh, those times in Ephesians. Back in Ephesians 1, which we looked at several weeks ago, in Ephesians 1.9, Paul writes and says this, He, that is God, and He made known to us, to the Ephesians, to those Paul's writing to, and of course he's writing to us as well, he's made known to us the mystery of his will. And that's what he calls the mystery. It's a mystery of his will. And he says according to his good pleasure. It's a mystery that is disclosed according to the pleasure of God, which he purposed in Christ. Listen in chapter 3, verse 4, our text this morning, Paul identifies this mystery in this way. He calls it the mystery of Christ in the NIV, which is what I normally read from. In, in the, the, uh, the uh, uh, translation I read from the, this morning, the New Living Translation, the one Pastor Rick normally uses, Paul says, the plan regarding Christ. It's a mysterious plan regarding Christ. In chapter 6, verse 19 of Ephesians, Paul calls it the mystery of the gospel. It's a mystery of, of God's will, it's a mystery of, of Christ, it's a mystery of the gospel. And now listen to what he calls it in chapter 5, verse 32. Paul explains further saying, this is a, a profound mystery, a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's the mystery of the gospel, it's the mystery of God's will, it's the mystery of, of Christ. It's the mystery of his church. This mystery of the gospel of Christ and the church was the special responsibility, Paul says, that was given to him. He was entrusted with and given to him by God through the Holy Spirit, made known to him through the Holy Spirit. He was entrusted with this, this special responsibility. And again, not only Paul, but all the, the Old Testament or New Testament, uh, rather, apostles and prophets. Why? So they would make it known. And make it known they did. Because we're here today because they were responsible to make it known. They fulfilled that special responsibility. They were faithful to it. They were committed to it. And you and I are here today, 21 centuries later, because of that and because of other faithful men and women who have carried it down through the ages. I'm here today because of really uh, a special person in my life by the name of Barth Campbell. Barth I went to high school with and I thought he was a little goofy in high school. He stood out from everybody else. But I ended up sitting between, uh, between him and another gal at, at Modesto Junior College in an English class where both of them at one time looked at me and said, uh, do you know Jesus? And I thought, well, of course I do. You can read about him in any encyclopedia. Who doesn't know Jesus? But I realized that I didn't quite know Jesus the way that they knew Jesus. And I'm thankful for Barth Campbell that he was faithful and he was committed to the special responsibility that God had given to him, that God gives to all of us. And he's, uh, he's in heaven today. He's in heaven now. And I look forward to someday seeing him there. That is what this book is all about. That is what the book of Ephesians is all about. That's what the 13 letters of the New Testament that Paul writes about and all the other letters that, that the, the other New Testament writers write about. It's this mystery of the church and what God calls us to in the life he longs that we would display. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians 1, 25 through 27. He says, I have become its servant by the commission of God. 
a servant of this mystery, a servant of the church of Jesus Christ. The commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but now disclosed, disclosed to the saints, disclosed to those who place their faith in Jesus. And he says, to them, as well as us, God has chosen to make known among them, among us, among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this ministry. And now he describes this mystery this way, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is one great mystery. God has disclosed his mystery and his plan to Paul. And Paul is, has disclosed it to us, and the writers of the scriptures disclose this mystery to us that was hidden during Old Testament times. It's been disclosed to us now in the, 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 the days of his church, the church age. And it's a mystery disclosed to us. His plan has been disclosed to us so that we too might might make it known to others. He's made the mystery of the good news of Jesus Christ known to us so that we might know him and so that we might make him known. He chose you. His plan involves you. He shared his secret with you. The Holy Spirit revealed it to you. Otherwise, you could not have ever known it. But if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's because he chose you and he's made it known to you and me so that we might make it known. And God wants to use you to help others to come to know it as well, to know how much God loves them, how Jesus died on the cross for them, how, how there he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might come into a relationship with this God who, who created us, who, who died for us on the cross and who the Bible proclaims is coming again all because he longs that we might be with him and that we might make this known so that others might be with him as well. It is a secret not meant to remain hidden. It is a secret too good just to keep to ourselves. It is God's new plan, which was his plan all along from the beginning of time. In verse 6, we see how this mystery is disclosed by God's revelation of a new people. Listen as I read verse 6. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are a part of the same body. And both enjoy the promises of blessings, the promise of blessings. Why? Because they both belong to Christ Jesus. In biblical times, uh, alienation between the, the Jews and the Gentiles was, was monumental. Monumental. Their social, national, and spiritual distinctions and, and, and divisions between them created an insurmountable, insurmountable barrier and barriers of division and animosity. Sounds a little bit like what we're, we hear on the, the news each night. Nations around our world, peoples that we deal with. But now, Paul says, those, that, that alienation, that division, that animosity, now the Jews and Gentiles, those believing in Christ, they've been reconciled from alienation to reconciliation. Where there had once been alienation, there is now reconciliation as they've been united together as one in Christ. In the month of June, for the last two years, our pastor has brought in other pastors from, from around the community, and he's already got next year mapped out too. Now, I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's a pretty good plan. But it's a mystery right now, so you'll have to wait until it's disclosed. But uh, we're one in Christ. Denominational differences may at times be those things that we kind of look at. God doesn't look at them. We can look at, you know, the color of skin sometimes. 
God doesn't see color of skin. We may look at how much money is in a person's pocket or where they live, what kind of car they drive. A lot of different things that we can make judgments and draw distinctions and those distinctions can lead to divisions in our lives. But when you're one in Christ, Jesus abolishes those distinctions. They're broken down in Him. And this is the mystery of Christ and the church. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, which Pastor Rick shared from last week. Chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. For He Himself, that is Jesus, is our peace. Where there was alienation, there's now peace because that peace is Jesus. Who made the two one made the two one, and has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create for himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their animosity. And only Jesus could do that in their lives. And only Jesus can do that in our lives. And that's what the church is all about. In Galatians 3.28, Paul writes there, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Why? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't it an amazing thing? Look around. There are a lot of distinctions and differences in this room. But Jesus makes us all one. And only the mystery of the gospel could accomplish that in our lives. Nothing else could. This is the mystery mysterious plan of God that no Jew or Gentile could ever have fathomed. Never. And that God's plan was to create a new people. And then Paul describes this new people. And listen what he says. He says, who are now heirs together in Christ's riches. We are heirs together with all of those throughout history, past, and history yet to come, no matter what nationality, no matter what color, no matter what race, no matter what language, what nation, we are heirs together. If we believe in Jesus, we are heirs of his riches. Wow. And there's a lot to go around. So we're all rich. And secondly, he says, a new people who are now members together of the body of Christ. The body here at Big Valley, the body over at Cross Point, the body at, at the the well, the body at Calvary Chapel, the, the body throughout our city, the body on every nation and continent around the world. We are members together of the body of Christ of which he is the head. He is the one who is sovereign. We're his body. And thirdly, he says, a new people who are now sharers together in Christ's promise, his promises, his promises of hope, his promises of peace, his promises of everlasting life that will be with him. I mentioned that we have six uh, grandchildren. And the oldest came, or excuse me, the youngest came into our family just this last year through adoption. Our, our first five are, are all boys, so we've got a girl, which is pretty exciting. Our first five are all blonde-haired and blue-eyed. Our girl, that uh, her name is Ellie, who's been adopted into our family, is not blonde-haired and she's not blue-eyed. Her skin has a little bit different hue. Her eyes are a little darker. Her hair is a little darker. And she is absolutely beautiful. She's beautiful. And as grandparents, we... We were, of course, at her adoption at the courthouse. And Ellie's adoption was pretty special. I'm glad I wasn't on the, in much of the pictures because I was doing what I'm doing right now. 
I wish I weren't up here right now. But there in that courtroom, Ellie was given a new name. She was given a new family. She was given a new birth certificate. And she was given a new inheritance, which a judge said to our uh, daughter and, and our son-in-law, you understand this is, she gives her the rights to an inheritance. Yes. And down went the gavel. That was made clear in the court of law. And in the court of heaven, those things are just as clear. In fact, they're clearer. You've been given a new name. You've been given a new birth certificate. For me, July 16, 1972. And you've been given a new inheritance that can never, 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 never be taken away from you. It's been legalized in the court of heaven. The gavel has gone down. And it's ours in Christ. We are a new people. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. We're new in Jesus. And this is a profound mystery that Jews and Gentiles could not begin to comprehend. A mystery that was made known in Christ. A mystery that is made known through the church of Christ. And thirdly, we see here in verses 7 through 9, that this mystery is God's revelation of a, a new privilege. So listen as I read. By God's grace, by God's grace, and by His mighty power, Paul says, I have been given the privilege, the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures, the insurmountable riches available to them, to us, in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Paul was given the privilege of serving, serving God the creator of all things. Think about it. Could there be a greater privilege? Could there be a greater honor than that of serving God, the creator of all things? And Paul was absolutely amazed, amazed that God had given him this privilege of serving him in this way. And you should be amazed as well. We should be amazed as well. Why? Because he's given that same privilege privilege to each and every one of us who have trusted him, who have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. God, the one who created everything. God, the one who created you. God, the one who died on the cross for you, has given you and me the privilege of serving him. Oh, we may not serve like Paul and you may not serve like me, but all of us have been given the privilege of serving him within his church. And that's amazing. I'll never get over it. I think for all eternity, I will never get over that. It's amazing. But I believe it. Do you? Do you believe that? Paul did, and it absolutely revolutionized his life. And it ought to revolutionize our lives as well. There is no greater privilege no greater privilege than knowing and serving the God who is the creator of all things, the God who is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords of who we sing and we give our praises and our worship to. He is worthy and he's worthy of the commitment of our lives, our service to him, our very best. God has called you to serve and if that thought raises up feelings of inadequacy and unworthiness within you, Guess what? It also does in me. I tried to figure out a way I could get out of this this morning. <laughs> but the problem is I get, I'm a pastor, and so I get paid to be good, and the rest of you, you're just good for nothing. But <laughs> Well, I'm glad you laughed. It's about the only joke I know. 
<laughs> but God has called us to serve him. And, and if that thought raises inadequacies in you and in me, I want you to see that it also raised the same was true for Paul. Listen to what he says of himself here in verse 8 in the New Living Translation, which we've read from. Paul says, I am the least deserving of all God's people. In the New Century Version, it says this, this way, I am the least important of God's people. And in the version I normally use, the NIV, I am less than the least of all God's people. You see, we can all have these feelings, but Paul overcame these feelings by believing that God had called him to serve by believing the truth of the word of God. Not based upon his skills, not based upon his degrees, he had them, not based upon his charisma, though Paul evidently was not necessarily very charismatic in front of people. He was small, he was short in stature, and, and, and evidently couldn't see too well. Not based upon his worthiness, and none of that for us either. It's based upon, as Paul writes here, God's grace and God's mighty power, his grace and his power alone. That is what makes us sufficient to serve the God who calls us to serve himself. God will empower you to serve him. I ask him to do that all the time. I guarantee you, I asked him to do that this morning in my life because without that, I have nothing to share. But you and I will never know that power, the power of his grace, the power of his spirit within us, not like we could until we step out in faith and begin to serve him, which he's called us to do. God has not called us to sit, just simply come and sit, but to serve, because when we simply sit, we soak and we sour, <laughs> and we're not meant to simply sit, soak, and sour, and yet that is exactly what is true if we're not serving him. We have the amazing privilege to tell others about the greatness of God and his love for their lives and the endless treasures of Christ available to all who place their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that privilege changed Paul's life and it's meant to change ours as well. The fourth thing that in this mystery that, that is revealed in our text is the revelation of, of a new purpose. And look at verses 10 and 11 with me. God's purpose in all this was to use the church, to use the church, to display his wisdom in all its rich variety. To display it to the world, but that's not what he says here. Display it to those who don't know Jesus, but that's not what he says here. He says, to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We're to display the wisdom of God manifest in our lives through this, this new life, this new person that we have been made in Christ. But we're to display it not only to the world and those around us that God calls us to serve and to love, but we're, we're to display it. We will display it. The church does display it <laughs> somehow through all its faults, somehow, to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is the supreme purpose of the church, to display and to make known the manifold wisdom of God to all creation, both on earth and in the heavens above, even the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, because they've not seen it. They didn't know it as others didn't know it. It was held hidden in God's hand. But they get to see it now. And they get to see it displayed in us. And they get to see it displayed in us so that throughout all eternity, even as we sang this morning, we might sing praises to the glory of God and to his wisdom. Because in his wisdom, look what he's done in your life. Look what he's done in our lives. Look at what he's done throughout the church of the last 2,000 years. It's not all been pretty at times because we're not pretty. But somehow God has taken the ugliness of our lives 
and made something beautiful out of it that is on display even before the, the angels, both good and bad, in the heavenly places. And only God could do that. And that is the ultimate purpose that this God who, who has called us and created us has called us to, to praise Him and to glorify Him throughout all eternity, and somehow that will be true through us. And Paul reveals this purpose even back in chapter 1 as he unfolds God's wisdom back in Ephesians chapter 1, declaring three times, to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. To, to, to the praise of His glory. And throughout all eternity, the church will be to the praise of His glory. And you and I are part of that. Whatever you do, Paul writes, do it all to the glory of God. That is God's ultimate purpose for His church and for our lives. And finally then, we see here this mystery revealed in a new promise. Look at verses 12 through 13. And there, Paul writes, Because of Christ and our faith in Him, because of Jesus and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now, every one of us, come boldly and we can come confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose your heart, he writes to the Ephesians, because of my trials, <laughs> hey, my trials, my imprisonment, don't lose heart over that. I'm suffering for you. So you should feel honored because my suffering is all about God and Jesus and the church and the gospel of Christ. And it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Well, this great ministry that Paul reveals to us here in these verses, this mystery, is, is really, it dictates what ought to be our ministry. God's mystery is all about our ministry. And God's revelation really demands and requires our response. What should it be? What should our response be? What should our ministry look like? Again, if I could put it in one sentence, the focus of what we've looked at is, is this. Christ and His church are worth giving our lives for and deserve our best. Jesus died for His church. He loves the church. And it is worth giving our lives for. You may not be like me, but you're a part of the church and God has called you and given you gifts to serve and a special responsibility he, he gives to us all that we might be a display to the world <laughs> and to the universe of the glory of God's mystery, of His wisdom, of His grace, of the church. We asked you as, as you took your card and, and filled it out to hang on to it. If you haven't done that yet, I want to ask you to do that because we're going to use these cards just now. And, and if you would, please allow me to, to lead us and lead you through the use of this card right now to provide us all with a response, uh, an opportunity to respond. Because God's revelation again, requires our response. And so, as I direct us here, I want us to look at two passages as we look at our, our ministry and what uh, Jesus says in these two passages because He reveals what are to be the fundamental commitments, our commitments, our commitment as a church and as believers in Christ, the fundamental commitments of our life in Jesus. And these commitments are found in two primary texts of Scripture that we commonly call the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And it's in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission that, again, these commitments 
for your lives, for our lives, and for the church Jesus gives to us. And we here at Big Valley, we call these fundamental commitments our core values. So we have pictures out front with, with our core values on it, which we believe are what God intends to direct our ministry, the ministry of his church, and also the ministry of our lives. And so the first, first commitment is this. The first commitment of our ministry ought to be a commitment to worship. And this is taken from, again, the great commandment where Jesus says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God, love him, and love him with all your heart and with, with all your strength and, and with all your mind. In other words, love him with everything you have. We're to love God. That is our first and foremost commitment. That is the great commandment. There is no greater commandment. And that is what we've called our commitment to worship. To worship Him. That's why we're here this morning. To worship. It's part of fulfilling the great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and, and strength. With everything you have. And I'm going to ask us to consider these commitments this morning for our own lives personally. And I'm going to ask you to consider this first commitment to worship in your life. Are you worshiping the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength? How did you sing this morning? Was it with everything within you? <laughs> Most of the time for me, I'd have to tell you, I don't know that that's the case. But that's a commitment of worship to love Jesus, to love God with everything we have within us. How's your church attendance? Are you faithful? Are you here on a regular basis? Or is it more hit and miss for you? How about your giving? Would that be the case in your giving? And how about your own personal worship? Not just when we come here to gather like this, which we're to do, but also which we're to do daily, just in the quietness of that quiet place that God gives us where we would meet with him and we'd give him our praise and our worship. Maybe that would be a commitment that the Lord would want you to make today. It could be regarding something I just mentioned. It could be something else. But maybe that needs to be a, a new commitment that you would make in your heart before him today. And if it is, on this card, I'd just like you to just write at the top of it, worship. That way we'll know that you made a commitment in the area of worship today before the Lord. And it's the Lord who has to direct your hearts in these ways. And we'll be praying for you as we do every week. And we'll pray for you specifically about this commitment in your life to renew your worship of him. The second great commandment is, Jesus said, is, is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And that is our commitment to serve. And really our passage has talked a lot about that. Paul said, I, I, I was given a special responsibility we all have been. And maybe God has spoken to you about serving. We have a, a class here on the first Saturday of every month called SHAPE, led by Pastor Alan Boone and his team. It's a great, great class. SHAPE is an acronym that span, stands for spiritual gifts, S, H for heart, A for uh, abilities, P for personality, and E for experiences. And God has given us all those things. Why? so that we might serve him. And you may say, I, I, I am serving. Well, then praise the Lord. That's probably not an area we, you need to recommit to. But if you're not, God calls us all to serve. And there's so many, many, many vast ways that we can serve God here at Big Valley Grace and in our community that God calls us to serve. It's not an option. It's a commitment. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And that shape class on the first Saturday, if you've never been before, it'll help you to know how God has wired you. And thus maybe to know how God may want to use you. Because he does. He does. And so you might just write shape. If that would be something you sense maybe the Lord would want you to do. To commit to say, Lord, this area of serve is an area that maybe I, you're calling me to commit to today. Just write shape at the top of that and because you have to register for that class. It's a great class, and that's one way you can do that, and they'll contact you. Third commitment, 
or core value for us at Big Valley Grace, but it's found in what is called the Great Commission. And in Jesus 28, his last words to the church, he says, then he came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. And this is our commitment to reach, to reach. And Paul, again, understood this commitment and his life was dedicated to it. He was committed to reaching the lost for Christ. When was the last time you invited someone to come to church with you? Are you praying right now for somebody who doesn't know the Lord that they would come to know the God of all creation who loves them, who died for them, who, who has insurmountable riches available to them? Are you praying for someone? Have you invited someone? Maybe that's a commitment that the Lord would want you to make this morning. And if so, just write down their first name, the first name on the top of the card. And we'll join you in praying for them and asking God to, to work in their lives. Maybe it's a, a commitment to connect. Jesus in the great uh, commission says we're to go and make disciples, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that baptizing is, is where we're connected into the body of Christ. It's the declaration that I belong to Jesus. And it's to belong to the body of Christ. It's to belong to the church. It's the first statement of our faith and our trust in Him. And maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe your commitment needs to be, you write at the top of the card, baptism. <laughs> I need to be baptized. I've been a believer a long time and I've never been baptized. So maybe God would lead you to write baptism up there and we'll contact you. And by the way, we have a baptism class that meets right in here on the first Saturday of the month. That'll be two, uh, uh, two weekends away. So we have the shape class on first Saturday. We have the baptism class on first Saturday. But also another way to connect is simply to be connected to the body. Maybe you've never joined Big Valley Grace Community Church. Maybe you've been here for a long, long time, but you've never, you've never committed yourself to this body through membership. God wants you to. It's his body that he died for. It's his bride that he loves. And we're to love his bride too. We don't love the bride. Guess what? We're having trouble loving the bridegroom. We're to love the bride of Christ. And we have a class also in here on first Saturday. It's called our discovery class. It's our membership class. And maybe that would be a commitment for you today. And you can just write discovery or membership at the top. And again, we'll, we will be in touch with you. We'll be praying for you about these things. And finally, the final core value, the final commitment is a commitment to grow. And, and again, make, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything, everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the close of the age. And maybe your commitment today is, is a commitment to say, I, I just need to be committed to grow, to grow in my relationship with Christ, to grow in my relationship with the body of Christ, with the church. There are lots of ways you can do that, but if God would be leading, leading you to, to commit yourself in that area, to grow in your personal walk. You might write down some different things. If you're a gal, a young gal, you might write down mops. <laughs> if you're an older gal, you might write down women's. Men, you might write down men's. I'm gonna be a part of men's and grow, or a small group. But if that would be a commitment for you, that God would call you to, again, just note that on the top of your card. In fact, I'm going to ask you now to, to pass these cards to the right, or to the left, to the closest aisle, and uh, men and women are going to come, and they're going to pick up those cards right now, and we will be praying for you. And if you're over in the venue, we'll ask you to do the same thing, to take your card and to pass it to where it can be picked up so that we can be praying for you in this commitment that you are making before the Lord today. The great commission and the great commandment, <laughs> they demand a great commitment. 
And this is the commitment God calls us to. Rich, I'm going to turn this over to you in the venue right now. And once again, for all of us here, Jesus loves the church. And we are the church. A small, small part of the church. And someday we're going to be with the church. From every nation, every tribe, every tongue, gathered before the throne of God and singing praises to His glory forever and ever and ever for the wisdom of His mystery to reveal Himself as He did and to choose you and to choose me to know Him and to be with Him forever and ever and ever. Jesus loves the church. It is His bride. We are His bride. And He gave His life for us as did the Apostle Paul and so many before us, so that we might know him and so that we might now, realizing that God has chosen us, we too might give our lives in commitment to him, that others may still yet come to know this God who desires that none should perish, and yet who we believe is coming soon. The church, it is worth giving our lives for and it deserves our best would you bow your heads with me it's an amazing thing Lord that you love us and that you died on the cross for us so that we might be new people that would be with you forever and ever and ever. What a privilege. Thank you, Jesus. Bless us as we go from here. May we live our lives to the praise and glory of your name until that day that we together with all of the church throughout all of history sing praises to the glory of your name. It's in your mighty in glorious name we pray, amen.